listening to Victory and Labang Podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service. For those of you who are here online, can we, on site, can we just give the Lord a hand right now? To welcome him, the Bible says, to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. For those of you joining us online, we do hope that you are doing well. And we know and I trust that the same presence that we feel here is also the same presence that you are having there with the Holy Spirit. Um, my, by my, my, my name is Pastor Ariel. I'm one of the pastors of this uh, congregation. And we do want to uh, just welcome everybody on site who are here. And uh, once again, it is such a... You know, an exciting time that we're in. I know that we have actually been doing a dance, uh, coming in here and then closing down and then coming back here. But I believe that the best days are up ahead for all of us. Amen. And I do hope that you are in faith, you're encouraged. Um, you know, better things are definitely up ahead because our God is a faithful God. And so we'd like to welcome you to church. Uh, and I think one of the things that's uh, level three, alert level three, and um, there are some things that are being opened right now, like, I guess, cinemas, okay? How many of you are excited to go back to the cinema? Netflix, anyway, so, uh, whatever, okay? So uh, whether uh, you are more comfortable watching at home or going out, please do stay safe. Uh, yesterday, we had a, um, an important event that we celebrated as a church. Uh, we had a graduation for our Leadership 113 batch number six. They named, uh, their name Josh, and so we'd like to congratulate batch six who graduated Leadership 130. Can we just give the Lord a hand for each of them? Uh, 62 graduates from four congregations from Alabang, Montinlupa, uh, Alabang, Las Piñas, Montinlupa, Alabang, Las Piñas, Paranaque, and Lucena. And, uh, you know, they have gone through the classes for 10 months every Saturday, and they've finished strong, and we'd like to congratulate them. Even during this time of pandemic, how many of you know that uh, we can maximize our time staying at home, and we can actually deepen our relationship in God uh, by learning and by actually uh, serving Him as well. And so, uh, congratulations. Great job, guys. And we hope to see you uh, in the future trainings. We're now continuing with our journey of our book of Isaiah. And this series is entitled Nearness. Everybody say nearness. Nearness of God. You know, sino ba talaga yung malapit sa atin? I believe that God Himself wants to draw Himself near to us. And this is what we want to look at in the next few weeks. We started off last week by looking at the book of Isaiah chapter 40. And now we're continuing our journey in chapter 43. So why don't we go ahead and do that. If you have your Bibles, please open to Isaiah chapter 43. For those of you joining us from your homes, please go ahead and open your digital device, your Bible, your physical Bible if you have it better. If it's flipping pages, nice to hear paper from time to time, and we'll all be reading from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 7. I'd like to invite everybody to stand uh, all together here on site as we give reverence to the Word of God. You know, we don't just do this because it's part of our ritual, but the reason why we stand at attention is because you want to give honor to the reading of God's Word. That's the reason why we do that in church. Isaiah chapter 43 Beginning in verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Can you say that with me? Fear not. 
For I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. Everybody say, you are mine. Huwag kang tumingin sa katabi mo, baka iba yung masabi nila, okay? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I, the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my, in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not. Let's say those two words again. Fear not. For I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we are so grateful for our opportunity once again to learn to be encouraged, and we thank you that your promises are true for each and every one of us. No matter what season in life we go through, I thank you that you are going to be with us. We thank you for the assurance that there's nothing to fear, that we don't have to be afraid, and it is actually a command that you have given to your people today. Even during this time of pandemic, economic recession, the future being uncertain, we know who is certain. That is you, a God who loves us, God has committed to us. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Uh, thank you so much. All right. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're now looking at the good, I guess I would say the good part of the book of Isaiah because the first 39 chapters were like prophecies of judgment and doom and gloom and exile. But yet when you turn to Isaiah chapter 40 until chapter 66, you will now see the promises of God, the, the, the God who comforts, the God who restores. And some people are saying, or theologians are saying that, is it a different God who actually judged the nation of Israel? You know, we cannot dichotomize the attribute of God. The same God who is holy is the same God who is loving. The same God, He is not man that, you know, we can actually... Uh, you know, withhold our attribute. In order, for example, no? if I would like to be kind to a person and I need to withhold my anger, something like that. Or if I, if I want to express my angst, then I need to withhold my kindness. You know, not God. God is the same God. His attribute is complete. And it's the same God who was the one who disciplines his children because of his love for them. And the same God who cares, who's compassionate, who's merciful, who is comforting for us. You know, Isaiah prophesied trouble ahead for Jerusalem because of the failure of its people to be faithful to God, to Yahweh. How many of you know that God has always been faithful to his covenant to us? Would you agree with me on that? Would you nod your head? Right. He's always faithful. He's a faithful God. The one who gives us His covenant promise is the one who's faithful to fulfill that promise. However, when you talk about covenant, there's always two sides to the covenant. Kind of like the covenant of marriage, husband and wife. 
two sides to the coin. And the covenant of God to His people, He's always faithful on His part, but yet many times the people of God are not faithful to Him. So it is clear that in chapters 1 to 39, that the blame really for the exile of the people to Babylon lay squarely at the feet of the people of Jerusalem. Kumbaga parang wala silang dapat sisihin, if I may use a Tagalog term. Kundi sila. Because they did it. They committed a sin before the Lord. They were unfaithful. They committed idolatry. In fact, they followed the practices of the foreign nation. They even sacrificed their own children to idols. It was so detestable to God that God had to stop that practice because what He's saying is, guys, you're different. You're cut above the rest. You are my treasured possession. You are a people under my name. And you are to live differently from the rest of the world. And so it was in God's will that He had to bring them into exile, not because He, desi- he, he designed it to, but it was a byproduct of their disobedience. The exile is the punishment for their sins. How many of you know that sins will always have a punishment? You know, there's a price to pay. Either we pay for that or somebody else paid for that. And because the people of Jerusalem sinned, God allowed Babylon, a mighty empire, to destroy their city and to bring them out, to take them as exiles and as slaves into a foreign land up to the north. That, but then, if you look at chapter 40 onwards to chapter 55, the mood suddenly swings or shifts. It becomes better. This was actually written uh, towards the end of the Babylonian exile. And these chapters began with the words that we have read last week. Remember the words that we read last week? Comfort, comfort, my people. Everybody say comfort. Comfort. For those of you watching in your own home, say comfort. Just type it down if you can type it. Comfort. You know, God is a God of comfort. We need comfort during this time of pandemic. We need comfort during this time of uncertainty. We need comfort in this time of trials, adversity, tribulation. You know, it's almost like an avalanche of grief and loss that have hit us. But God is a God of comfort. Amen. God is always there. He's stepping in. He's not going to let His people go. He's not going to let His purposes, you know, be wasted. He began with words of comfort in Isaiah chapter 40, and he's holding out the promise that he will eventually bring the exiled people back into the promised land. And the fulfillment of this prophecy was amazing because it was not through the Babylonian Empire it was fulfilled. It was now through the Persian Empire. Just check your history. It was King Cyrus, a pagan king. He was now... You know, they defeated Babylon in about 538 B.C. And a new empire rose up, the Persian Empire. And eventually, the Persian Empire was replaced by the Roman Empire. We know that. But yet, during this time of the exile, God sovereignly, supernaturally has chosen King Cyrus to be an instrument that will bring about the exiles back to their land. And while the Babylonians treated the exiles as slaves, Cyrus will institute a very different foreign policy. Instead of, you know, him treating them as slaves, he actually was kind to them. He brought them back to Jerusalem 
And in fact, what he did was he kind of financed the trip. There were like three trips. And if you can read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, that was like the time when they were going back from exile back into the promised land. What's interesting about this story is this. God can use a pagan king to allow his purposes to prevail. Amen. How many of you know that God is not limited whether the king is evil or good in order for his purpose to prevail? We see that in history. We see that in the Bible. And how many of you know that even in our nation, no matter how uncertain it is, this election that we're facing right now, how many of you know, medyo mainit. Mainit is actually an understatement. And my prayer is that we will not be divided as a people over the candidates or the political parties that we are preferring to vote. But we will continue to unite and instead look at the greater plan and purpose of God for this nation and for His people. Amen. God is a faithful God and He will save the land of the Philippines. How many of you know that God has a great purpose for the Philippines? Amen. Come on now. Can we give the Lord a hand for that? He's got a great purpose for us. He's got a great purpose for us, the Filipino people. He's got a great purpose for you. Can you look at the person beside you and just tell the person, he's got a great purpose for you. God's got your back. So, in effect, it was actually God who delivered the, pe the people of Israel from exile and not King Cyrus because it was his plan, his hand. And chapter 43 reaffirms God's love for his people and his plans for them in the future. And what he's telling them is, don't fear. Don't fear. Do not fear. Fear not. And we hear this time and time again. Do not be afraid. Fear not. It's so natural for us to be fearful. He's telling us, do not fear. Why? Because he's promising that he will take good care of them and he will take good care of us, even today, even our future. And these exiles, they have somehow endured over half of a century of servitude or slavery. It's but natural for them to feel uncertain and, and anxious and fearful. But yeah, let me make this statement. Do not fear. Everybody say, do not fear. Do not fear, God is here. It rhymes. Okay, by inquest. Do not fear, God is here. And it's so natural for human beings like us to have fear. Fear is actually a common human condition. We call it phobia. How many of you have some certain kind of fear? Can you please raise your hand and be honest? How many of you have a fear of heights or whatever? Fear of the unknown, fear of the future, fear of failure. We call it phobia. And phobos means horror. This is where we get the word horror movies, phobia, fear. People with phobias actively avoid the object of their fear or they somehow endure it with great and intense anxiety. And this can actually be a, you know, a, a disorder called anxiety disorder. And according to some health experts, some phobias are actually way beyond the fear scale. You know, there are different kinds of fears, you know, like fear of blood. Hemophobia. Sino rin ang takot sa dugo? Okay. 
Ah, wala? Wow. Okay lang sa inyo manood ng Squid Game. Ah, no, Squid Game, okay. Fear of blood or fear of animals, zoophobia. Maybe uh, some people are, they have the fear of water called hydrophobia. Walang liguan to. Wisik-wisik lang. Parang ganun. Ha? Fear of death. Thanatophobia. Fear of the future. Atichiphobia. Everybody say atichiphobia. Fear of the future. Or I like this kind of fear. Fear of ugliness. Don't ever face yourself in the mirror, okay? Fear of ugliness called kakophobia. In Tagalog, kakotakot. Kakophobia is a real fear. And then there's what you call the fear of fear, which is phobophobia. You know what's interesting as you study Scripture from Genesis to Revelation? There are about 365 times that fear not or do not be afraid or do not be scared that has been mentioned in the verses of our Scripture. 365 fear not verses in the Bible. It's as if God wants to take us one dose every day for the whole year. Amen. He's getting us ready. In fact, we see this from Genesis chapter 15. God spoke to Abraham as he was about to leave his country and about to enjoy the new covenant. He was saying, fear not because I am with you. I am your great reward. And even in Revelation chapter 2, God is reminding the, uh, John, the last prophet standing, do not fear because you will suffer. So God, time and time again, is always saying to his people, fear not. Once again, look at the person beside you. Say, fear not. For those of you watching in your homes, tell, the, tell your you know, siblings or your, your children, their family members, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. We can also take this to our situation today. Fear not. Three things I want to just quickly talk about and highlight in this scripture for us. Fear not. Number one, fear not because you are created. God has created us. And we, we see this from verse 1 when he said, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob. For me, this is huge because we are not a product of an evolution of monkeys. Someone created us. Amen. God himself declared that he created his people. You know, the word created comes from the Hebrew word bara, which denotes God's power. And only God can use or is referred to have this kind of an attribute. He is the creator. There's no one who can actually create like God. You know, no matter how creative you are, if you're an artist or maybe you're a musician or maybe you are someone who sings, or maybe you paint, or you, you do sculpture, or you're an actor, you're creative, you, you somehow reflect the attribute of God, but there's no original creation. Everything that has been created has been created by God. And only God can create something out of nothing. And we call this ex nihilo. You know, remember the time when God created, you know, the world from Nothing, and then he merely spoke, let there be light, and poof, there was light. 
And then he spoke, let there be vegetation and let there be moon and sun and let there be animals and let there be like this and let there be like that. He merely spoke and everything came into existence. He created us. What's interesting about this is it speaks of the power of God that is sovereign over our lives. When you say you create something, there's power that is translated into that creation. But yet what's interesting also is the second part of this verse. He said, He formed you, O Israel. And this word form, yatsar, means to form something with your bare hands. Interesting. God created everything with the power of His Word. But when He created man, He took the dirt from the ground and He formed man into His own image. We see this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. You don't have to turn there. That God actually fashioned man and He breathed His life into the nostril of Adam and there He was. It's almost like a potter forming a clay. And these words actually convey intimacy and care and being delicate. It's the work of an artist, you know, doing a masterpiece. And I believe that when God created everything, He merely spoke into existence. But when He started creating us, human beings, He fashioned us. He formed us. He used His bare hands. And He is molding us. You know, God is forming us today into more and more into the image of Jesus. Amen. And when we go through difficulties and trials and adversities, He is forming us for His purpose. Kind of like how He formed Adam back in the garden during this creation. Now, if you combine these two words, create, everybody say create, and then form. Create and form. When these two words are spoken side by side, you know what it conveys? Our God is not just a powerful God, but also a caring, loving, and compassionate God. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand for that? He is one who is powerful, but at the same time, He is intimate. He is personal. He is there by our side. He's watching us. You know, you and I are a creation of an intelligent and a loving designer. God Himself. You know, I realized as I was studying this, the implication of this is this, that God has total control over our lives. You know, whatever you're going through right now, God knows. And God is in control. And God is in charge. Let me just encourage you. God is not oblivious or unaware with your situation. He has created us. He is continuing to fashion us more and more into His image. He's guiding us into our destiny. In fact, He was the one who designed us. It means that He gives us the purpose why we are here in this life. There's a reason why we're here. And we're not just here in this world to suffer, but to fulfill God's plan and God's purpose for us. Fear not, because God created you. Secondly, fear not because you are redeemed. And we hear this word time and time again. Not only are we created, but we are also redeemed. There is redemption. 
To be redeemed means to be ransomed, to be bought back, to be purchased. That is what redemption is. In fact, for slaves, their view of redemption is they are granted freedom because somebody will buy them back so that they will be freed from captivity or slavery. Kind of like the Israelites, when they were redeemed or delivered from the bondage in Egypt, when God, remember that? When God sent Moses to deliver them, they were redeemed from captivity and they were given a new life. Kind of like us. Remember the time where we, were, we don't know God yet? There was darkness in us. There was bondage with sin. But when we were found by the Lord, when we gave our heart to the Lord, He gave us a new life, a new purpose, a new, a new, uh, a new, a new being. We're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We are redeemed. And we have been set free from captivity. Sometimes we feel trapped in the past. But remember this. God is our Redeemer. He's our Deliverer. He is your Redeemer and your Deliverer. You know, when you talk about redemption, it's a special word that's being used normally in the book of Leviticus. And also we find this in Ruth. You know, if you, book, uh, if you, if you read that particular uh, passage, Ruth is actually a Moabite woman who married an Israelite man and she became a widow because the, the, the husband died in a foreign land and she went with her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Israel. And once they were there, a family member or a relative named Boaz saw Ruth and what he was is he was called the kinsman redeemer. And what he was saying is, he wanted to give a chance for Ruth to have a fresh start in life. He married Ruth despite her past, despite her being a Moabite. And they started a family. They had children. In fact, part of their lineage was King David and eventually Jesus. A Moabite woman, a Gentile, being redeemed because she was part of the purpose of God. The idea of redemption is this, that there's a ransom paid for the release of the captives. And this brings encouragement to the exiles in Babylon. That's the reason why when, they, when they were reading this particular prophecy from Isaiah, and when Isaiah was talking about, I have redeemed you, guess what? They were looking at the past. We were once redeemed from Egypt. Now we're exiles in Babylon. I believe that God will redeem us again from this place back into our land. In verse 3, it says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. Now, how did God give Egypt as a ransom for the Israelites? You know, for the Jewish people, this word redeem would bring to mind the understanding of like a firstborn or uh, whether it's human or animal, that the firstborn belongs to the Lord and must be redeemed by the price. So they have a practice in uh, Leviticus that when they would actually offer, if they want to do that, they would actually redeem it for a price. And this practice has a root back in the Passover. When the Lord somehow has given 10 plagues to the Egyptians so that he can actually set his people free. And remember the last plague? 
when God allowed the firstborn of the Egyptians to be killed. And that was the redemption part. Because the Israelites' firstborn were saved simply by putting the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost and the angel of death passed over. That is the picture of redemption. Isaiah said that God gave the Egyptians as a ransom price for the freedom of the Israelites. And you know, today, we as Christians, as believers, we were also ransomed by a price greater than the Lamb during the time of the Passover. A much greater price has been paid for our redemption, and that is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was the price He paid on the cross. That's why He is known to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, 28, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Can we read this last line together? And to give His life as what? As a ransom for many. He Himself was the payment. He himself was the ransom. You know, we know that in the West, we do not negotiate with terrorists, something like that. We will not pay any ransom. But Jesus himself did it so that you and I can be freed and be ransomed and be delivered. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 to 19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver, or gold, but with the what? The precious blood of Christ. It is so precious. There's nothing like it. Like a lamb without blemish or spot. Our lives, our freedom, the gift of eternal life has been paid by no less than the Son of God, but the Son of Man, through His own blood. That's how precious you and I are. Amen. That's why no matter what you're going through right now, just thinking about the fact that God created us, that God redeemed us through His own blood should actually give us an assurance that God wants to take care of us no matter what. Amen. Fear not because you have been redeemed. In, verse, uh, in the latter part of verse 1, it says, I have called you by my name. You are mine. You know, names are important. Particularly for the Jews because, you know, they, they signify their destiny. They signify identity. You know, and it's God who names us. Normally, it's the practice of fathers to name their children. And, you know, I'd like to read uh, from, from Myers. He says, to bestow a name is an act of authority, denoting possession. You know, when you are given a name, it means that you are actually possessed. Not possessed by the enemy. But you're actually owned. There's ownership. There's possession. Somehow, when God speaks of us, you are mine. I am secure because I am his child. You are mine. You know, my children, I would always tell them, you are mine. I love you. I always have to reassure them, I love you. And they grow up secure hearing that from their father. You are mine. You know, these are words that does not denote to like a possession or a property, but it denotes relationship. 
You know, I remember the time, 30-something years ago, when I gave my vow to my wife. One of the things that we said is, you know, uh, that as I give this ring to you, I promise you that you are mine and I am yours. There's an intimacy that is being denoted when God speaks about Him owning us and Him saying, you are mine. You know, I remember this story of a young boy. Maybe you've heard of this story of a young boy who was, you know, he lived near the harbor. He loves watching boats. And, uh, you know, I would normally read this story to my kids when they were younger. They, you know, they, he loves watching boats. And his father uh, knew for a fact that he loved, you know, being in the harbor. And what he said was to his son, uh, why don't you go to my workshop? I'll give you all the materials and the tools. I want you to make your own boat. And so the boy went to the workshop, made his own boat, designed it, painted it red, white, and blue, something like that. And then he said, wow, I love it. Among all the toys that I have, I love this toy because I made it myself. So what he did was he actually tried it out, went to the lake, had it, you know, uh, water tested. It was tight. It was good. But somehow, because he got so distracted with one thing that's happening behind him, he forgot about the boat, and the boat actually disappeared. So he was looking for the boat for many, many days, until one day, he was walking in town. In a toy store, he found his boat. And he told his dad, the boat is there, and they're selling it for a price that I didn't have to pay, because that's mine. And when they went to the, stock, uh, to the store owner, the store owner said, well, I'm sorry, but a fisherman found this boat and I paid a price for the boat and now it's, being for, it's, it's out for sale. And the boy wanted to have that boat. And what he did was went back to his home, broke his piggy bank, and he paid the amount for that boat. Bought it from the store owner and he said to the boat, little boat, little boat, you are twice mine. First, I made you and now I bought you. You know, I believe that in the same way, God, our Heavenly Father, is probably saying to us, little children, little children, you're twice mine. First, I created you, and now I bought you with my own precious son's blood. And how many of you will be grateful for the fact that God loves us so much? Amen. Can we just give the Lord a hand for that? What an interesting story. That's why there shouldn't be any fear that we should have in the things that we're going through. And I'd like to read further. Verse 2, it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, through the fire. Diba? Yung mga nakangiti, matanda tayo, Okay. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. You know, what's interesting about this verse is the use of the word when and not if. When you walk through the fire, when you walk through the waters, it's not if you walk through the fires or if you, uh, or if you go through the waters. There's surety in it. The question is, when you're talking about adversity, the question of suffering in life is, it will happen, but when will it happen? 
And what's interesting about this imagery is the, the use of the metaphor of water and fire. It's almost like a literary expression that means everything from A to Z. When, when the prophet Isaiah was using through the waters and through the fires, it's like him saying, whatever adversity or suffering you go through, from A to Z, I will be with you. From top to bottom. It's like saying, you know, whatever happens in your life, I am there with you. Don't be afraid. And we can actually remember that the waters would refer to the Israelites when they were crossing the Red Sea. And that's the vivid picture that they can imagine when they were actually crossing on dry land and God was actually holding off the two walls of the water. And when the Egyptians tried to follow them, they were drowning. And the fire gives them a picture of Daniel chapter 3 when Shadrach, Peshach, and Abednego went to the fiery furnace. Three men, and yet the king Nebuchadnezzar, when he was looking at the furnace, did not find three men, but there was four men walking inside the furnace because the Son of God appeared before them. Literally, I will be with you. Amen. Whether you walk through the fire or you go through the flood, God's going to be with us. My last point as I come to an end is this. Fear not, because you are loved, and God is with you. In verse 4, it says, because you are precious. Everybody say precious. You're precious. In the, precious. Precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. You know, these words we need to hear today especially coming from God. We feel like nowadays we're questioning the love of God for us. Lord, do you really love me? I'm going through this time of pandemic. I got sick, lost a friend, lost a family member, lost my business, lost my job. You know, I'm suffering from mental illness right now. Do you really love me? God wants to speak to us today. For those of you watching, God loves you. It's a fact. It's the truth. He loves you. He loves us. And sometimes... Many times, we forget this basic truth that God loves us no matter what. No matter what you go through, even in this pandemic, He loves us. Yes, even if we're going through pain and suffering, He loves us. God loved us before we chose to love Him. 1 John 4, 19. You know, the promise of God, the gospel, for God so loved the world that He gave His Son. We are familiar with that. He loves us. Psalm 139 talks about He loved you in your mother's womb. He saw your unformed body. He loved you already, even before you were born. He loved us even while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He loved us in our worst moments, and He will continue to love us in our best. Amen. There's no one like our God. He will continue to love us. He's a faithful covenant-keeping God to Israel, and He's also a faithful God to us. He promised to bring back the Israelite community into their promised land. That's why He continued to speak in verse 5. He said, fear not. Here we see these words again. Fear not. In this set of Scripture, we see this twice. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bring your offspring from the east. And from the west, I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. 
And I will bring my daughters from afar, and my, and my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. You know, this is a picture of restoration. You know, after a massive destruction of Israel from the hands of the Babylonians, God promised that a time of restoration is coming. We were seeing that song earlier. It's a day of new beginnings. You know, He's turning dead ends into doorways. And I believe that God will restore what the enemy has stolen from us. Amen. We may actually have desperate situations right now. The same way that God has brought the Israelites back in the community, uh, in, the, in, the, in their own land. God will bring us back and make sure that what He promised, He will do. You know, this pandemic will all be over soon, someday. How many of you are looking forward to that day when this pandemic will be over and things will go back to normal? Amen. This will be over soon. I don't know how soon is. Maybe next week, next month, next year, two years. I don't know. But this too will end. And my encouragement for us today, church, is this. We have a great and mighty God. The one who created us. We need to stop having a pandemic mentality. I know and I understand and I want to be sensitive and I want to be careful with this statement. But pastor, you don't understand. We're still in the pandemic. Yes, we are still in the pandemic. But instead of a pandemic mentality, I want to submit to you guys. Why don't we all have a faith and hope mentality? Not a pandemic mentality anymore. We've been in the pandemic mentality for the past 18, 20 months already. And I believe that God is reminding us, fear not because I am with you. Fear not because I created you. Fear not because I am forming you. Fear not because I have redeemed you. Fear not because I love you. Fear not because I will take care of you. Amen. Come on now. God is a faithful God. In the midst of this pandemic, we can overcome. It's not about our solutions to this COVID-19 virus, whether it's a medicine or a vaccine. We look to God as our Redeemer. We look to God as our healer. That's why, you know, we can actually be trapped in a pandemic mentality because a pandemic mentality is described by fear. It's high time for us, children of God, to go out there, not to be irresponsible, but to go out there and believe God and see the other side. God had promised the Israelites that they will go back to their own land. You know, God will take us back to our promised land. God will restore He'll continue to journey with us. And He's taking us, His children, those whom He has called. And I want to end with this last scripture. Verse 7 says, Everyone. Everybody say everyone. Now everyone who is called by my name. What's interesting is in verse 1, He said, uh, I have called you by name. You are mine. It's personal. But now it's almost like God is inviting everyone. He's broadening the call. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created from my glory, whom I formed and made. He speaks now of everyone who is calling his name. 
Maybe it's suggesting that He wants to call for Himself a people. Maybe for those who are not yet part of His family, He's giving us a chance. You know, if we are God's people, and we are, then we are created in God's image and we are bearing God's name. But there are those who may not yet be part of that. And I believe that God is inviting us. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victorialabang.church.